0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, get to 1 Timothy chapter 4. You're doing that. Can you please join me in thanking the praise team for their service to us this morning? It's another long, hard week around FBN. And so it was just good to be with all of you and honestly to hear your voices this morning. That was super helpful. And I, I don't want to pass um, this opportunity by without mentioning uh, what uh, our elder uh, Dr. Schold shared with us this morning. Um, We had, when we were staring uh, the need for space in the face and we uh, had the opportunity to to pursue a building expansion, there were several options when it came to capital campaigns laid in front of us. All right, we were encouraged at one point to hire an outside firm that would come in and Give you a bunch of rah-rah speeches and all these different things and stay here for a few months. We're encouraged to, um, like he talked about, the thermometers, the show charts and all these different things. And as we prayed about it, the, the overwhelming sense we just kept getting was simply this. God was saying, trust me and trust your people. Um, and just let it be that simple. And uh, we stand before you today having trusted him and trusted you all and neither one of you guys let us down. Um, and, and we are so incredibly thankful um, all the glory to God, but so incredibly thankful to each and every one of you uh, who made a pledge, who prayed about it, who were intentional about it, who made this happen uh, so we could stand here with overwhelming confidence and say we have more than enough. And, and that is a huge, huge thing. And please hear our undying gratitude uh, for that. And so um, I, I didn't want to, to have a mic today and not mention that, but uh, if you have your Bibles, get them open to 1 Timothy 4. Uh, I believe if you don't have one, there's a black one in the back in front of you. I think it's page 1052. If not, I got you really close. All right, you can find First Timothy 4 from there, and uh, we want you to be able to follow along with us, and I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer. Well, Father, we are grateful uh, for the opportunity we have to be here this morning. We're grateful for each and every person that's in this room. And uh, thankful for those who wish they could be here but, but can't. And so um, those who are joining us online, God, we're, we're thankful for each and every one of them and pray that as we turn our attention now uh, to the close of this chapter, uh, that you would be the one who uh, speaks, you'd be the one who moves and convicts and encourages, God, that you uh, we, we get the glory from all this. Um, we're... we're overwhelmed with gratitude as a church today and pray that uh, you would just continue on the momentum that you've already built here, Lord, and that you uh, would continue to raise up FBN to be a a place where people can be sent, where people can be grown, where they can be discipled, um, and then they can be uh, multiplied out for your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, back in 2018, FBN... Uh, entered a partnership with uh, Faith Wesleyan Church and World Gospel Church here in town uh, to go together to uh, sponsor a village in uh, Sierra Leone, Africa known as Pelewala. And so in November of 2018 that year, uh, there was a group of us that went on an introductory trip, right? A, uh, representatives from each church go uh, into Palewala for the very first time and, and introduce ourselves to them, let them uh, introduce themselves to us, and all this stuff. And uh, the way the trip was scheduled is that we would head to the village, I believe, on the third day of the trip. And the night before uh, we left um, to go uh, to Palewala, there were some nerves among the guest house we were staying at because we hadn't found anyone yet who'd been to Palewala before. Um, We didn't know anything about the place. We couldn't get any information about it. Uh, And when we left the next morning and got in the cars. I didn't even know how long the trip would be. Like I just said, we're going somewhere and we'll get there when we get there. But I was never one time nervous during the trip. Now, that's not to say that it wasn't unlike any trip I'd ever been on. We started on roads, then went over a really sketchy bridge, and then the roads became dirt, and then it was a road again, and then it was dirt again. And then we turned down what can only be described as a path, right? This was no longer a road. And as we went, it got... Rougher and rougher, and uh, there was a big uh, 50 gallon uh, drum of oil uh, for the well we we're going to dig. That the path got so rough it, it threw it off its truck, uh, and then the path got narrow and narrow. And it had this really tall grass the side that seemed like you were just swallowing the vehicles at some point. And the way uh, our elder who went, Paul Lacey, described it is you get to Paley by going to the ends of the earth, and then you go 10 more miles, right? And eventually we made it. And the reason I never got nervous is because no matter how rough it got, and it got rough. It all, we were always on a path that was at least somewhat cleared, right? We never one time had to go somewhere that somebody hadn't been there before us. Somebody had gone before, somebody had cleared the way, there was still a path to go. And knowing that somebody had been down that path before was all I really needed. In our passage today, Paul is going to talk about progress, right? In, in verse 15 of the CSB, which we read, he mentions progress. That you, if you have the King James, it might be the word profiting, okay, Uh, what that word, the Greek word uh, that is used there is actually a military term that means pioneer advance, okay? And and if you you study this, the Greek military was the first military to have a unit of what they called pioneers that would go out in advance of the troops. So they would would go scout somewhere that the rest of the troops were getting ready to travel, and what their job was was to clear the path. It was to uh, set up ways to get around or to cross bodies of water. It was just basically to scout out what was ahead of them. Now, by the 1900s, all major militaries had adopted this. In fact, every country in both World Wars, both World War I and World War II, had what they called pioneer units. Now, some use different terms, but they were all pioneer units these trailblazers that would go ahead of troops and clear the way, clear away obstacles that make it possible and easier for others to follow. Now, Jesus is the true pioneer of the Christian faith. The Bible in the book of Hebrews refers to him as the author and protector of our faith. And his most famous calling to us is these two words, follow me. I'm, I'm clearing a path that no one has been down. It's a path to life, it's a path to hope. It's a path to freedom and forgiveness and eternity. I'm clearing the way. You, you follow me. And what we're going to discover today, in, in at the end of 1 Timothy 4, is that this. Pioneer advancement, right? This, this clearing of the way and inviting others to follow. That privilege and duty has also been given to his church. That each of us have been called to set examples, to clear paths, to go out in front that we might help others follow Jesus too. And to miss out on this calling, right, to become self-absorbed and myopic and self-focused in our faith is to miss out on so much of what Jesus has for us. And it really shortchanges what God can do through us and through this place. And so let's dive into Chapter Four together. Close this out, and hopefully, be challenged, inspired by Paul's words. I'm going to invite Lisa Tally up to read today's passage for context's sake. She's going to read uh, First Timothy Four, starting in verse eleven through the end of the chapter. And if you are physically capable, would you please stand with her this morning for the reading of God's word? Morning, Lisa. Good morning. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through a prophet message, prophetic message. When the body of elders lay their hands on you, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Thank you, Lisa. You guys have a seat. <clears throat> Keep your Bibles open right there to First Timothy chapter 4. I had to read starting verse 11 for context sake so You could see the whole section. Our main focus today, our passage today is verses 15 and 16. And the first thing that I want to pull out from those verses is that the gospel demands our effort. Now, I immediately, immediately when I say that, I immediately need to offer some clarification. Because uh, in, in many ways, effort is hostile to the gospel itself. And so we need to be clear on the difference this morning. And, and, and to do that, I want to point our attention to Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, which tells us this, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. And so I want to be clear, crystal clear in this this morning, I want us to know fully what saved by grace through faith means. Right? So the gospel is simply, it's the good news of Jesus, and you can only appreciate good news when you understand how bad the bad news is. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that there is none of us who are righteous, not one, and that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. And Romans 6 tells us that due to that, the wages of our sins is is death. And so it's not a small thing this morning that you're a sinner. Okay, that's not a minor deal. It, It is a massive problem. It's the biggest problem in your life, the problem that you're a sinner. Because the God who created us is holy and perfect in all his ways, and he simply cannot tolerate sin. His holiness, his justice demands that a price be paid for it, which is why we all die, because the wage of sin is death, and it's why if our sins aren't covered and paid for before we die, we will spend an eternity in hell suffering under his immense wrath, which is why you need to know effort is hostile to the good news of Jesus, because the Bible is clear that you are your biggest problem, therefore you cannot be your solution, Too often we believe that we can earn our way to God, we can earn our way to heaven, that if I do just enough good things, it will somehow erase the bad that I do, and this is impossible because the standard is holiness. The standard is perfection. So we cannot in any way save ourselves ever. And yet, we have this tremendous news in the Bible that we can be saved. It is by grace through faith. Grace is a free gift. It's God doing what we could not do. It's him giving us what we do not deserve. And he did this by sending his son, Jesus, who lived, who having the divine nature, lived the sinless life that you and I have not and could not live. And so when he died on the cross, he died uh, the death that we owed to pay our price for our sins. Romans 5 puts it this way, that God proves, he proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means God, God knows all the worst details about you. He knows all the things that you've tried really hard to hide from others, and he still died for you, and he still offers to forgive you if you put faith in him. That is grace. And you can claim that, gift, gift, uh, that, you can claim that grace through faith. You place your faith in Jesus Christ, in his death, and in his resurrection, where your response to God is absolutely you are correct in saying that I'm a sinner and there's nothing that I could do to save myself. I needed Jesus to die for me, and so I trust in him, and I trust in that. The gospel is the good news that Jesus did all of the work for us. He did everything we could not, all by grace, none of our efforts, because we cannot earn God's love, we cannot earn his grace, we cannot earn his favor through effort. We must believe in the one who did it all. All right, so that being clear, how can I say this morning that the gospel demands effort? Because I'm not talking about an effort to save yourself. I'm talking about effort in response to the tremendous grace that's been shown to you. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What he's saying there is is this when you understand, what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, when you grasp the amount of love that he has for you, when you wrap your mind around the price that he paid on your behalf, that demands a response. It demands your life. It demands your heart. It inspires you, yes, to serve him, work for him humbly. I want you to look at this most recent section in 1 Timothy 4 that we've been covering. Right, are, we spent the last several weeks in this. Verse 10 says this, For this reason we labor and strive, Okay, verse twelve. Do not or set an example. It says, "Set an example for the believers." Verse fourteen. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Verse fifteen. Practice these things and be committed to them. In verse sixteen, persevere in all of this. Do you hear what that? Is that is call after call after call after call to response to effort to service to pouring out your life for Christ. And there's a quick. I just want to point out one quick thing in the original Greek for you. In verse fourteen, uh, where it says, "Do not neglect." Right, that, that, that Greek word literally means to give no thought or pay no attention to. And the word in b- verse 15 that our translation is practice these things, that's the Greek word that means the opposite. It means to give careful thought to. And so what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do here is instead of receiving the grace of God, instead of receiving the giftedness you have from God and be totally absent-minded about it and not think about it and not apply it, instead what you need to do is to give careful thought and intentionality and live your life in light of it. When do you hear the lifestyle he's been called to here? Paul's saying, practice these things. Be committed to them. Show your progress in a way that everybody can see. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in all this. So yes, the distinction must be made clear. Earning your way to God, earning your way to heaven, earning your way to eternal life is actually hostile to the Christian faith and to the gospel. But serving Jesus Christ with everything you have pouring out your life in response to the grace that's been shown to you in the gospel, well, that's the very life that we are called to in Jesus Christ. Secondly, we see here that private life and public ministry are intertwined. This has been a theme for Paul as he pours into his young protege, Timothy, throughout this letter. Look at verse 16. He tells him, pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and you hear us. What he's telling Timothy is this, there can be no compartmentalizing. Now obviously, every spokesperson, every pastor, every teacher, every elder since Jesus has been and is still a sinner. And so there's gonna be times in which we are guilty of the very things that we teach. But there needs to be considerable care and effort and consciousness and intentionality given to ensure that there aren't two starkly different realities. Timothy was not allowed to be a spiritual leader. He was not allowed to be a teacher of the word, to to set a public example for the believers, to lead the church, and then in his private life live in contradictory ways to everything he was proclaiming. Now, it's incredibly important that his faith be genuine, his pursuit be steady, his growth be evident. And there are two ditches, really, to avoid in this. As he he tries to stay down the path that Paul is calling him to here, there's a ditch on both sides. And And the first side is just not caring for or guarding his own heart. Proverbs chapter 4 tells us this, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. That's why Paul tells him in verse 16, to pay careful attention, not just to your teaching, right? We've already discussed how important that is and how high the stakes are, but Timothy is also to pay careful attention to his life. In the demands of ministry is his heart beginning to pull back from Jesus, Are are there any sinful patterns? Any sinful positions? Any sinful thought processes he's fallen into? Are there any potential idols that are beginning to form in his life? This is not just for Timothy, by the way. It's not just for elders and not just for pastors. It's it's for this is for any teachers. This is for any parents. This is for any of you who have neighbors. This is for any adult in church. This is for college students who high school students look up to. It's for high school students who middle school students look up to. It's for middle school students who elementary kids look up to, and on and on and on. It's for anyone with any kind of influence and any kind of platform, and you have some. The reality is this if we're going to claim the name of Jesus, we must pay attention to our lives. We must guard our hearts. We must prayerfully take efforts to ensure that what we are proclaiming with our lives and our attitudes and our actions and our social media posts matches up what we claim about our faith. Now, the second ditch is this on the other side, is to make it all about you, to slide into and stay in what I would refer to as maintenance mode in your faith where the focus is only on you it's only on your walk it's only on what is meaningful to you only on what you prefer and only on what you think helps you grow because i want you to look at the reminders that we have in this passage right, first in verse 16 he says in doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers now obviously okay as we covered already only god can save a soul as far as eternal salvation is concerned But what Paul is reminding Timothy here is of the power of influence, right? And those of us in Jesus should always be trying to leverage our influence to point others to Jesus who can save them. And if we use our influence to lead others away from Jesus, by the way, there are some really stern warnings in the Gospels from Jesus himself about the fate that awaits those who do that. Verse 15, he's told to grow and progress in a way that's evident to all. And again, this is not for Timothy's gain. It's not for his glory. The, prog- the Remember that pro- word progress was that Greek military term, the pioneer advance. It means Timothy is, the calling in his life is to go out in front, to go further and deeper in his walk with Christ and his faith in Christ so that he then can encourage and inspire and lead others to do the same. Right? The calling is, the goal is to be a source of inspiration, to be an example, to lead others to the transformation and grace that is found in Jesus Christ. It is never, ever ever just about us, guys, ever. The Christian faith is never allowed to be just about you. And lastly, the goal is transformation. Paul is pushing Timothy to this, the Bible pushes us to this, and we need to be reminded of this all the time because there is a constant temptation and ministry to simply settle. There's a constant abiding temptation to pursue lesser goals than the ones we've been called to by Jesus Christ. There's a temptation to think that a full room and a full bank account is evidence of success. There's a temptation to think that if we provide you with a good experience, we've done all that God has asked us to do. There's a temptation to think that as long as we open the Bible and somebody grows in their knowledge of God's word, then we're going to get an A plus from God. Notice, none of those things are bad. In fact, I would argue that they are really good things that we should be glad about. But they're not the highest goal. And they're not the calling of the church. And to even point that out, I understand, carries the risk of sounding like a major downer, but it needs to be said. The goal is transformation. The goal is Christ-likeness. The goal is multiplication. In fact, it's not just the goal, it's what we've been called to. Jesus says that we will be able to recognize a prophet by its fruit, by its fruit. I think it's safe to apply the exact same principle to a ministry. That we can recognize a ministry by its fruit. Are lives being touched by the grace of Jesus? Are people growing in their faith? Are they trusting him more and more? Are their attitudes and priorities and decisions and commitments showcasing an increasing affection for Christ and an increasing likeness to Christ? Are they on mission together for the glory of God? Now we'll never get an A plus in this church because we aren't a perfect church and there is no perfect church. But that, that doesn't mean that those aren't the questions we should be asking. And it doesn't mean that we can ever stop, stop striving. We must constantly be willing to ask the Lord how we can do better, how we can be more effective, how we can be more faithful to what he's called his church to be. And it's going to take all of us in this to, to hold on to tr- tradition loosely, all of us to ensure that personal experience never becomes an idol for us, all of us to be willing to go and change and transform and adapt wherever he leads us. Timothy is called here to lead the way in speech and in conduct and love and faith and purity, but not so that he could have a great reputation, not so that he could be elevated, so that those in the church at Ephesus would also desire to know his Jesus in that same way that their lives would be touched and changed, that their speech and their conduct and their love and their faith and their purity would inspire others as well. That's the calling of the church, and FBN is getting something right when we point you to the path of transformation, when we help get you in the flow of the Holy Spirit, engaging you with God's word, imploring you to serve and trust and obey Jesus more. It's why we exist. Now, the close of this chapter is a really personal section in which Paul is telling Timothy, one specific man, what to do. So the question that we ask is, what are we to do with this? I'm not Timothy, you're not Timothy. This letter wasn't written to us, but I think there are principles here that can help all of us. And the first is simply this is that we need to identify our spheres of influence. Now I'm not standing in our nursery hallway right now. I'm not downstairs in our FBN kids room. And so I can be confident in saying this today. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's paying attention. And some of them you know about and others you don't, but you have a sphere of influence. Again, some of us will be obvious. If you're a teacher, it's your class, right? If you're a coach, it's your athletes. If you're a parent, it's your kids. If you're an older sibling, believe it or not, it's your younger siblings. It could be a, your position at work. It could be the people that you sit closest to for eight hours a day. It could be that gas station or coffee shop or restaurant that you frequent over and over and over again, and so they're starting to see you and know you and hear your interactions and know your name. It could just be the age and lot in life you're in. Man, if, if you high schoolers knew how much the younger ones look up to you. If you college students knew how much influence you have, and if you in the older generation knew how much young men and women would love to be discipled and mentored and invested in people who've already been in their stage of life, if you just grasp that, there's no limit to what God could do through you. So the first step is to simply ask God to identify what your spheres of influence are. And the second step is to take inventory of how you're utilizing it right now. Are you indeed setting a good example? Are you, by your life, by your posture, by your attitudes, your words, your convictions, are you making, making it easier and more desirable for others to follow Christ, or are you making it harder? Are there things about your influence that you'd be ashamed of? And then third, right, ask God to help you be intentional moving forward about using your influence for his kingdom and his glory, because it is that important. Which brings us to to application point number two, which is simply to recognize that it's so much bigger than you. And there are far too many people whose faith and practice of their faith is just too myopic. The focus is on them all of the time. We now choose churches solely on what we can get out of them. Do I like the music? Do I like the style of music? Do I like the teaching? Do they have coffee? Is it a nice vibe? Am I challenged? But it's not too harsh, right? Right? And by the way, I would even argue that those thoughts are fine while you're looking for a church. Because you don't want to be at a place that's not a great fit. But once you declare a church home, drop that mindset as quickly as you can. And figure out how to pioneer advance. Figure out how God can use you to help others grow in him. It's not a selfish prayer at all to ask God to use you mightily for his kingdom and his purposes if you desire he gets the glory. Now, Heaven will be awesome, incredibly awesome. But for whatever reason, lately I've been thinking a lot about the things that I won't get to do there. I'm calling these privileges that are entertained and reserved just for this life only. For instance, praising God during suffering is something I'll never have the opportunity to do in heaven. Sharing the gospel with somebody who doesn't know Jesus is something I'll never have the opportunity to do in heaven. And I'll never, ever, ever get to influence, point, or lead someone to more of Jesus in heaven. Those privileges are for this one short life that we are living right now. And for Paul, I hope you see this in the letter. For Paul, that the reality that this life was the only one he had to influence others for Jesus drove him to give his full attention to it. In this letter, he keeps calling Timothy to do the same, and he calls us to do the same. So, what do we do, church? We be the light of Jesus in a dark and dying world. We steadfastly refuse, as followers of Christ, to give in to the things that are being used to divide us. We give compassion. We share truth. We radiate hope. We search out wisdom—not just information, but we search out wisdom. We don't feel the need to speak and post and, and share an opinion on everything out there. We remember that we have a worldview in Christ that is so much bigger than what you see on the news. That you have a hope that can never be taken away. And so, be different because with Christ, you are different. Be different because with Christ you can be different. And pioneer advance in the things that the world really needs. Peace and grace and gentleness and generosity and faith and love and trust. And make it your goal. Make it your abiding goal to leave others wanting more of your faith and more of your Jesus. And imagine, imagine watching God take hold of the people that you care about and been praying for and seeing amazing transformation take place in their life. Imagine you, yes, you standing in the baptism waters with that friend or relative that you have been trying to lead towards the Lord. Imagine seeing undeniable, amazing fruit from the efforts that you are giving to God. And imagine the people that you love and care about and invested in walking past, closer to Jesus that you helped clear the way. What could be more meaningful than that? What could be more exciting than that? What could be more worthy of your efforts than that? Let's pray. God, I thank you that Paul's passion for ministry, his passion to see Timothy multiply everything that God had given him and to clear the way for others to follow Jesus as well, never waned. It never died down. It never even simmered. And so, Lord, I pray that um, on this historic day at FBN in which we announce uh, your goodness and your provision and your blessings, your favor to us once more. That, we would, that you would use that momentum to, to rise up in us, a, a church body, a congregation of people who have that same passion, who recognize that this is the only life we have to point others to Jesus Christ, that this is the only life we have to praise you in difficult times, this is the only life we have to be an influence for you and your kingdom and your glory. God, there's all sorts of things in our world right now to cause chaos, to cause anger, to cause division, to cause strife, to cause hopelessness, and to cause despair. We have the good news of Jesus. We have the one source of eternal truth that brings hope at all times. And so may you raise up a people of FBN, a united body of Christ here, to always be ready to give a defense and a reason for the hope we have. And to his Philippians 2 puts it, to shine as lights in this really dark world. We pray that you would do this for our sake, for the sake of those that we have yet to impact, and ultimately for the sake and glory of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his powerful name. Amen. I mean,